This week on Up in the Blue Seats, should Brad Park's number be retired? Should Frank Boucher's number be retired? We ask Ranger beat writer Larry Brooks. I'll also chat with Rangers great, a former teammate of mine, and a longtime MSG Network analyst, Dave Maloney. All that and more next on Up in the Blue Seats with the New York Post. Welcome to Up in the Blue Seats Podcast, a New York Rangers podcast from the New York Post. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, wherever you listen to podcasts. Rate the show five stars, write a nice review if you're using Apple. New episodes are released Wednesday late afternoons. The Post Rangers beat writer Larry Brooks is with us this week. Former Rangers defenseman, Ron's old teammate, and longtime MSG network analyst Dave Maloney also drops by the podcast. But now, here's your host of Up in the Blue Seats, number 10, Ron Duguay. Well, hi, everyone. I certainly uh, look forward to Wednesdays because it's it kind of breaks up my uh, weekly uh, same routine. And my routine starts with this. I wake up in the morning into the kitchen, and I have to have my glass of lemon juice, fresh squeezed lemon juice. And then after my lemon juice... I like to have my green tea and my green tea comes from Starbucks. So I get in my car, go to Starbucks, get a green tea. And then on my way back, I stop at the gas station and pick up my New York Post. And then I head home. And so then I sit in my favorite chair, look outside, turn everything off. And I just quietly drink and read. And I do that for a couple hours. After that, figure out what is it that I can do now? So it's either a little bit of news just to be caught up in the news, the current stuff. And then it's just kind of, what do I need to do in the house or do outside? And I do kind of tinker around and then it comes to uh dinner time it's my bike ride so i have a, a riding bike a cycling bike that i go for 10 to 20 mile run almost every night then i come home have my dinner uh using my son uh, noah will be here and he'll cook me dinner or i'll do dinner and then it's movie time and so i've been watching a lot of movies and it's uh it's been fun i haven't in the past i haven't really had that time to watch movies and so i've been watching a lot of movies uh one of them is uh, recently i and i like to post it on instagram so if you follow me on instagram Instagram posting some of the stuff I like. One of them is Just Mercy, based off a true story. Uh, the other is Madam C. Uh, C. J. Walker. What's my connection to her? She's the uh, and the movie's called Self Made. She was the first self made millionaire, uh, and I think I think it's back in the early 1900s. And so why? What's my connection to her? Well, I was doing some work for the Woodlawn Cemetery, and she's buried there. So I had this knowledge about her. So that's why when the movie came out, I thought, you know what? I'm going to watch this movie, and I really enjoyed it. Bad Boys has come out. Uh, I watched that last night and this other show that everyone's been recommending tiger king tiger king my son dad dad you gotta watch tiger king so last night i started watching i watched 20 minutes of it and i thought after 20 minutes i've had enough of this i'm very concerned ron i mean you are one of the few people that's turned it off after 20 minutes and i think you need to give it a chance if there was ever a time to give it a chance it's the middle of a pandemic where you're making uh lemon tea and juice cups and reading books and reading the paper we need you to watch tiger king i mean joe exotic 
Braddock got 20% of the Libertarian vote for governor in Oklahoma, which blows your mind when you watch this thing, how bizarre this guy is. And then you got Carol Baskin, who many of us think fed her ex-husband to the Lions, but no one actually knows. Allegedly, I think you got to give it a shot, man. Also, this is all after the first 20 minutes. I I love this character because he's unusual. He believes in himself and he doesn't care what anyone thinks. He loves the cats, big cats, big kitty cats that are dangerous. And uh, so I love all that connection because it is so different. You realize other people live different lifestyles, but a lot of it is just, it's just passions that we have. We all have different passions inside of us, but he just, it just kind of got to me after 20 minutes. And so, but it it sounds like I need to, I I need to dig into this a little deeper. Yes. I I guess I gave away a little too much. I forgot that in 20 minutes, you didn't find out how, how much of a psycho this lady Carol is, but you have to watch because, you know, she's a huge part of it. There's other characters that get involved that, you know, people that are part of the zoo that are involved in what's going on and it has so many layers and now Joe Exotic is in jail and you know a lot of people are on his side here not on Carol's side so it has like been a cultural revolution with this whole thing so listen I I understand it does start off slow believe me in the beginning I was like eh, I don't know if this is my thing but just keep it running I mean you might get the message that comes up by Netflix are you still watching which is like the ultimate like wow my my life's pretty boring right now when you get that message popping up but I think you should give it a shot to be in right now with what's going on Ron you got to watch all of Tiger King okay because that's what I'm watching on social media with Instagram Twitter they're all talking Tiger King and I started I gave it my best shot I might have not just been in the right move I, I, I'm missing hockey I want to see hockey and I think the best news I've heard about hockey and it had nothing to do with hockey it had to do with Mark Cuban he made a mention I think it was about three days ago that he believes basketball should start up again not for an audience but made for TV in May because he realized too many people are watching Tiger King and so he's uh, he's saying that basketball should get going now if this should happen to start playing again in May that uh, what happens often is that hockey will follow their lead so I'm optimistic that basketball will start they'll start without an audience it'll be made for TV and perhaps hockey sometime June or July they may get going in a similar fashion so I'm signing off with that Joining us now is Rangers beat writer from the New York Post, Larry Brooks. You can follow Larry on Twitter at NYP underscore Brooksy. Larry, welcome back to the show. And uh, please give us an update. How are you doing? It's been a week. I'm well, thanks. I'm uh, healthy. Uh, Family is healthy. We are self-isolating, taking this seriously, as everyone should. If you're listening to this, whether you're in New York, Ontario, Texas, California, stay in. Stay home. Be safe. Be a good teammate. Yeah, well said. I uh, this is all um, well. It's all new to all of us. All different for all of us. I'm. I have an opportunity to go ride my bike, and that kind of saves me because I can get my exercise, get some fresh air, and there's some freedom in being able to do that. So it's kind of saved me. Other than that, things could be worse. So I have to because uh, I read your articles every day, Larry, in the New York Post, and and you made a mention. You there was a little um, column there where you're talking about Jim Dolan and talking about owners from different teams where they're chipping in to want to make sure that those who are unemployed are going to get paid some sort of payment. Tell me about Jim Dolan on what he's done. 
Well, the Rangers have uh, informed the Garden employees that they will be paid through May the 3rd at the least. And should the necessity of a shutdown continue, as it as it's certainly seems it will in New York at least, um, then then uh, they'll go back in and take a look. But on a di- in addition to that, uh, the Garden Foundation plus a personal Jim Dolan Foundation um, contribution of I believe a million dollars. I have a fund of $3.5 million set up for garden employees to take care of medical care, rent, mortgage, food, whatever financial issues arise. And so I think that among the people who have stepped up in in this situation is Mr. Dolan and I think the people at the Garden. Uh, there's an expectation that Ranger players and Knicks players will contribute to the fund. I'm not I'm not sure of the details of that, but I, I think we're seeing that professional sports teams have, by and large, and and professional athletes have, by and large, been very good citizens here and are trying are are trying their best. Um, everyone is going to take a massive hit here. There's there's no way around it. There are going to be some exceptions. But um, I, I think certainly uh, when we get frustrated with owners, and I do an awful lot, I think sometimes you, you take a step back and you say thank you when they do what they can. Yeah, well, that's why I felt I needed to bring that up because I know Mr. Dolan at times gets a bad rap with certain things. But I, I know that man does have a good heart when it comes to certain things because I, I participated in a lot of the Garden of Dreams events. And that's something that he's uh, he's very fond of. And uh, so when you hear good things about a man, I think it's important to bring it out. And, and when I read that, I thought, you know, good for him. So that's why I thought I'd talk about it. But going back to our last conversation, and just so you know, I just spoke with Dave Maloney. We chat a little bit about Brad Park because Dave Maloney came in his first couple of years. Brad was still a New York Ranger. He was part of that big trade where Phil Esposito came into New York. And I asked Dave about Brad Park, and uh, he agrees with you that, uh, you know, it's unfortunate that they end up going to Boston winning a couple of Stanley Cubs. But when he was a New York Ranger, he was a great New York Ranger. So he agrees with you that the idea of retiring his jersey makes a lot of sense. He was the second greatest defenseman of his era behind Bobby Orr. He is the second greatest defenseman in franchise history behind Brian Leach. At his peak, he was as good as anyone who's played for the Rangers. He was. And there were five guys from that team that that formed the core of Amos teams, you know, beloved teams. There were five guys. One was Eddie Jockerman, his numbers retired. You've got the gag line, and you've got Vic Hadfield, his numbers retired. Jean Rattel, his number is retired. Roger Bear, his number is retired. The fifth is Brad Park. And I, I again, I understand that he only played seven seasons for the Rangers. He actually played a few more games for the Bruins than he did for the Rangers. But are you going to let the Bruins claim him too? <laughs> I mean, honestly. So I, I, I just think it's, it's, it's a slam dunk. I think what our situation now tells us, reminds us, is that we can't take anything for granted. And so let's get it done and let's get it done next year. And Dave loves your suggestion for a few players that may be part of that conversation, like a Ron Gressner, uh, Frank Boucher, that a, a Hall of Fame room would make a lot of sense. He loves that idea. You want to expand on that a little more? Listen, Frank Boucher was a great player in the, in the 20s and 30s. Bill Cook was a great player in the 20s and 30s. Ching Johnson was a great player 
in the 20s and 30s. Brian Hextall Sr. was a great player for the Rangers in the 30s and 40s. Had they been more contemporary, I'm pretty certain their numbers would be retired. Can you make an argument for retiring their numbers? I suppose, but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't pick out Frank Boucher and say, okay, it's Boucher and no one else. You would then have to, I think, retire at least three numbers. And then you talk about, well, what about Lester Patrick? Is there anybody more important in Ranger history than Lester Patrick? Maybe Mark Messier. But when, when you go back all the way, there were things that maybe should have been done in the 60s or maybe should have been done in the 70s. I, I was I was doing a little bit of research on this. And predominantly the players who's num- who played in the 20s, 30s, and whose numbers are retired, well, they were retired in the 1960s or 1970s when when the players were, I imagine, I hope, were still alive to enjoy it, when families were still there to celebrate it, when the fans could celebrate it with the players. And I think that when you're retiring numbers, you're doing it for two reasons. You're doing it for the player, but you're also doing it for the fans. I think the, the you know, if, if we walked into the garden next year and there was a number seven up for Frank Boucher, and there were a, there was a five up for Bill Cook and a, and a 12 for Brian Hextall, I'd be fine with it. You know, that would be great. It would be fine. But you're not going to, I don't think you're going to have a ceremony when unfortunately 95% of the people in the building wouldn't know what they were celebrating and wouldn't know the numbers. I, I, I think there's a little bit of a disconnect there. It was, it was kind of sad, actually, a number of years ago when the Rangers retired Harry Howell's number and Andy Bathgate's number. It was in 2009, and a lot of people didn't know, honestly, weren't sure who they were. And we're talking about Andy Bathgate and Harry Howell, who played in the 50s and 60s for the Rangers. It was during a real downtime, too. I mean, Tom Rennie was fired the next day. (laughs) The atmosphere was not great. But in a pregame ceremony to retire their numbers, the garden was half full. And you don't want that. Honestly, you don't want that. My suggestion, and, 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 and I've, I've suggested this for years now, is that the Rangers create a Hall of Fame. And of course, Frank Boucher would be in it. Of course, Ron Greshner would be in it. Of course, Bill Cook would be in it. And, and I think that's probably a more equitable way for the Rangers to recognize their great players. And there have been great players beyond the, uh, the, the finite number of guys whose numbers um, now hang from the pinwheel ceiling at the Garden. Well, you know, once the season gets started again, I'm hoping that the season will get started in August. I, I think it'd be, uh, and maybe it wouldn't be August, maybe it'd be sometime in next season. You have the power of the pen to be able to bring this up, and let's see if we can't push this through, because I love this idea, and I think most players would love it. So I'm not sure what it would take for them to open up that room because it wouldn't be that big of a deal. It would just be just the power of that suggestion. And I think JD would be all in for that. So we need to talk about this again in the future. Uh, But for now, uh, in my conversation with Dave, I asked him, I said, do you feel like you were too young as a 22-year-old to be a New York Ranger captain? And for him, he says, you know what? I was too young because I was immature. And I said, well, your thoughts on, because there was an idea that uh, Zibanejad might've been a captain going into this past season, but coach held back on that because he felt Zibanejad, it might've been too much pressure on him. What are your thoughts on anyone right now on being captain? Do you think it's too much pressure to be a New York Ranger captain? Because when you look back at McDonough, I felt like it was too much for him. You know, I think it applies to each individual differently. I I think, I I don't think McDonough thrived in that role, but I I think there was a, a confluence of events there with McDonough too. He was hurt a lot after he was named captain. So it's difficult to 
isolate just the captaincy on 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 McDonough as just the reasons why he might have plateaued his last two or three years in New York. But I I don't think it was natural for Ryan McDonough to be captain. I don't think it was natural for Ryan McDonough, and and I and I can't speak for the internal machinations. He may have been a great captain in communicating the players' feelings to management. I, I, I don't want to defame Ryan McDonough's role as a leader. He Honestly, he might have done a spectacular job behind closed doors. I do know, though, that he wasn't cut out for the public part of it, I don't think. He was not a guy who was comfortable standing up in the room after a game and talking talking of the state of the team, as the captain really has to do almost every after almost every game. You've you've got to you've got to be the voice of the team, and I don't think McDonough was quite comfortable in that role. Mika Zibanejad, I think, is a different personality. I think that he has thrived under the uh, the spotlight. <laughs> I think he has thrived as more responsibility has been put on him on the ice. He is he's, he gets more minutes than any Ranger forward in in a decade. He's on the first power play. He's on the first penalty kill unit. He's on the first line. Everybody knows what he means to the team. And after games, he is there essentially every game giving the state of the team. And so I think that's natural. I, I I think he's I think he's a natural I think he's a natural selection to be captain of this team. I think he I think he would blossom even further in that role. And and I think it's important that after uh, these couple of years of development, yes, let's say next season. Let's cut this off let's cut this season off now and say we're talking about next season. I think that after a couple of developing years, even though next year will still be a developing year for a lot of young players on the Rangers. Next year is going to be a, a, a make the playoffs year. You know, next year is not going to be a, well, we're, we're developing kids year. It's going to be, we're, we're, you know, we're going to make the play. We've got to make the playoffs this year. And so I think the team needs a captain. I think it should have a captain. And I think uh, Zibanejad is the man for the job. Okay. Well, we're going to leave it at that. And we'll talk next week. And hopefully next week we'll have a little more to say about what it may look like with possible hockey in August. So I wish you well, Larry. Thank you. Same, Ron. My guest played 11 years in the NHL, 10 with the New York Rangers. He was the youngest player in Ranger history to play as an 18-year-old in 1974. In 1978, he became the youngest captain in Ranger history. He is now, in his 15th season, part of the MSC broadcast team. Welcome, my former teammate and friend, Dave Maloney. I have to ask you, because we're all curious about how we're handling this pause, this time spent at home. What's it like for you? It's been different, obviously, with not having the freedom to you know, up and go. But our work schedule, we go from like September to hopefully, you know, into May and June. And then the summer times, it gets kind of downtime. So I just, uh, we're all hunkered down here. My wife and two sons are here with us. Um, they're all gainfully employed, so they're working out of the house. So everybody finds their space. And we've got a bit of a gym downstairs that, you know, over the course of the day, everybody kind of gets in there and gets a little bit of a workout. And then, you know, depending on the weather, I'll get out of my bike or do something to get outside. And uh, so it's been, you know, a lot of patient downtime, a lot of reading and 
different things like that. I wish there was a more exciting tale than that, but it's it's pretty straightforward uh, in this time that are somewhat daunting, right? Yeah, well, I, I've had the pleasure of doing this show, and I do it once a week, and, and part of the show is a lot of it is, is talking hockey, talking Ranger hockey, and I go back in time, reminisce a little bit, and I had uh, the pleasure of talking to our old teammate Donnie Murdoch a couple weeks ago, and uh, he's doing really well. So I have to ask you, because we had that um, that one year in 79 when we went to the finals, and Donnie was part of the team. Fans love to hear about what it was like for us to be us going through that year. What What is it that you remember most about our run to the finals? Well, there are a couple things, right? I remember, obviously, the series against the Islanders was a tremendous thing. I mean, the Islanders are right on the cusp of uh, four consecutive cups, and, and that series, to me, was really the highlight. Now, again, lots has been made about what happened against Montreal. Should we have stayed in Montreal or got out of Dodge or whatever? I never thought that was an issue, but we were all young then and thought we were bulletproof anyway, right? And just along the way, the, the excitement that kind of overwhelms you, and, and you really you really only really kind of grasp it, you know, well into retirement when you look back in those days and you think about the, the guys that we played with and, and the different uh, people along the way and playing for Fred, you know, and obviously that was Freddie's first year and he had a different slant on things and, and uh, JD was unbelievable and, you know, Donnie and, and brother Don and Phil and then had guys. What I don't remember is, you know, we, we were going to be a pretty good team, right? We were all pretty young and, and if they, I often wondered if they kept that core kept us all together uh you know it was obviously the following fall when they made the big deal for for Barry Beck and that took Pat Hickey and Mike McEwen and and Lucian Devois out of the lineup you know we're all at the same age and all that stuff I often wondered if we'd stuck together if we wouldn't have had another run at it because it was um it was quite some time and then when it was all over I remember flying back going that's it (laughs) you know we're done you get that close and it's and then I think perhaps like a lot of us thought we'd get another run at it and I certainly never did so it's certainly the highlight of my career was the 78-79 season and and just the guys played with and the experiences we went through were tremendous. Well, Dave, when you talk about would you do things differently when you look now, when you look back, uh, you come in, you're drafted as an 18-year-old. When you think about playing as an 18-year-old, if you were to do it again, would you have stayed and played a little more major junior hockey in Kitchener? Or do you think you did the right thing playing as an 18-year-old? Because you end up playing in Providence in the AHL, and uh, that was that, that was tough times and uh, just trying to play hockey. So would you, if you were to do it over again, would you have played a stake with playing junior hockey a little bit longer? You know what? That's a good question, dude. I've never been asked that. I don't. Honestly, I don't think I would have. I, I mean, the times are so different, right? I remember that at that time the Rangers had three uh, minor league teams down to the IHL. I don't think there was ever a thought of, Staying a junior in those days, it was time, you know, to move on. Now, now, you know what, dude? I, I wouldn't change it. I really wouldn't. I'm not sure uh, how. So I still had two years of junior eligibility left. I'm just not sure that it would have turned out any differently. You know, honestly, because at the draft, I remember we got a call. So I was hooked up with. I went to um, Bobby Orr's camp as a 12 year old, and then I worked there 
every summer until it closed when I was 21 or 22. You know, most of the days of world hockey was a factor and, and, and different things. And I remember in March of that, what would be my last year of junior, we got a call that the Vancouver Blazers of the World Hockey Association had reached out and seen if I want to sign a contract. And, and then I remember Alan Eagleson, who would become a lot more infamous than famous, was basically the guy that was running the show in those days. He recommended that we wait for the NHL draft and the World Hockey Draft and see how it all played out. So as history would tell, Eagleson knew exactly what was going to happen, and I ended up being drafted and, and then signed. So I, I think a lot of things you look back and say, well, if I'd done this, if I'd done that, I don't think I would have changed a thing. I really, I, I love my life. I love my how it, everything turned out through thick and thin. And, and after all these years, I'm still kicking around New York. So something must have worked, right? <laughs> well, you know, I think you answered my question because uh, when you go down to the minors as an 18-year-old, it will separate the men from the boys because it's tough as an 18 year old you're being challenged you're being challenged all the time especially as a defenseman and I think you met that test and uh and you ended up playing with the Rangers uh shortly after that you had the pleasure of playing with Brad Park and part of our discussion right now is Brad Park uh Larry Brooks brought it up he's brought it up a couple times he uh he's really appreciated him as a player and he thinks that uh He's one guy that uh, possibly the New York Ranger organization should retire his jersey. Now, I know you only play with him a little bit in two seasons, but what, what, how would you describe Brad Park? You know what? It's interesting. I know uh, we, we, we communicated a little bit before, and you had mentioned that we may be talking about Brad. And, you know, I, I, I spent some time, and I, I was just thinking, you know, he might have been, he, he was about as smart a hockey player. I, I was thinking, you know, present day, he, he might have been a little more mobile, Adam Fox, in the sense that he was so smart. So, um, and then I remember shortly after he had been retired for a couple of years, we were part of a pregame opening night ceremony. I remember spending the better part of the day with Brad, and he was talking about the game and talking about how he played and the vision. And, and I don't know, holy smokes, that's a whole different side of this game that I ever heard or, or thought when it, when it came to playing. So I, I just think that, yeah, I, I think where, you know, he, I, I shouldn't say suffered in notoriety because he was right on the heels of the same generation of Bobby, right? I mean, he was a four, four-time All-Star in his eight years at the Rangers, you know, six, four-time runner-up in the Norris. You know, he was a seven-time All-Star, six, uh, seven-time runner-up in the Norris. So, I mean, for those eight years that he played as a Ranger, <laughs> Guy was a hell of a player, and you'd be pretty hard pressed not to think that you know he should be with Harry Howell, the number two up there. So I remember Brooks and I had talked about it a little bit beforehand, and then and then when you mentioned it, kind of looked up a couple things here this morning. And boy, when you looked at it, you go, you know what, that that, that guy was a hell of a player, and and oftentimes too, you know, like a lot of us who. who started as Rangers and other than Grash who had a career as a Ranger when you look back at the window it's like your numbers your numbers were great as a Ranger right and so you look at the numbers and you go Park was a, a generational player the only thing that happened with him during those years is the Bruins won a couple cups and he was second fiddle to Bobby Orr yeah so I have this conversation with uh, Larry Brooks and he brings up a good point because you think about Brad you think about Greshner you think about when you go way back Frank, Frank Boucher a lot of people are uh, talking about him possibly having his jersey retired so Larry says well what if the Rangers had a Hall of Fame 
room. That way, I mean, not everyone's going to get their jersey retired, but you can be honored in a Hall of Fame room. Does that make sense to you? Because I think when you say that, you could be in that Hall of Fame room with your games played in New York, uh, you're being a captain. I, I think you had a really nice New York Ranger career. So what are your thoughts on a Hall of Fame room? Well, I think it's a great idea, right? I mean, it's one of the original six franchises, and obviously, and it's got it does have a deep history. And I, I think it would would be something that would honor the players who put a lot of time in the franchise and perhaps on a league-wide basis and maybe get the recognition that perhaps, you know, relative to what they got for in the local market or whatever, I think it's a good idea. I really do. And I, I think you can get away with that because who knows the Frank, you know, if you're comparing Frank Boucher to Brad Park or the generation of players where people now are a little more aware of it, I think it, it, it gets difficult. But to acknowledge someone or a player or a coach or a manager or something that had a sense of a touch of the French. I think it's a great idea. How about you? Do you think it's a good idea? Oh, absolutely. When he said that, yeah, it makes a lot of sense because our buddy Gresh, you know, I love Gresh and he had his whole career as a New York Ranger. He would fit right in there. And I think you would also, when I look back at your career, you are the youngest player to play as an 18 year old and the youngest captain. Were you 24 when you became our captain? Yeah, no, I was, what was that? That was the fall of 78. So I was 22. So that was Freddie's first year. Yeah. So that, that leads me into my next thought or my next question. You being a captain at the age of 22, and I know this past before this past season, Coach Quinn was thinking about putting Zabinajad as their captain. But the comment I've heard is they thought, well, it might be too much pressure on the guy to make him as a captain. Was being captain at the age of 22 a lot of pressure for you or too much pressure for you? You know, I'm not sure about the pressure, Duke, but I do think I was too young. I mean, uh, I was wound pretty tight to begin with. And, you know, while that, according to Freddie at the time, and even Phil, was an asset, I just wasn't mature enough to handle. And I don't think it's so much pressure. I don't think I don't think you're quite as savvy at 22 as you're going to be at 25 or 26, believe it or not, right? Or 27, where you've had an establishment in a career. That would be my own personal evaluation. And I think as far as the Banajad is concerned, you know, there are a lot of moving parts in the room coming into this season. And I, I think, and I'd be curious to hear what you think, I, I think a team needs to develop a culture, kind of a, you know, and, and I think a culture only evolves over a little bit of time. And I'm just not sure that group was ready yet or knew one another well enough to really know. Or did they, even the coach, did they really know that Meek was ready to do it? I don't think there's a, an issue with now, especially as he's a himself the way he has uh, as a player. And I think at the end of the day, you're a lot better player, or you're a lot better captain, more effective captain, if your game's pretty good. And uh, so as far as pressure was, for me personally, like I said, it's not so much pressure. I, I was just too young. I wasn't ready. I think Meek is much more further advanced in his career. I think he'd be good, good for this group. Well, let me just say, when people ask me about you and you having been a teammate of mine and captain, I always said is that, I always appreciated your compete level. You always showed up. You were wound up a little bit, which is fine, which was fine with me because some of us are a little more loose. And so you need guys that are a little more tighter because you can't have a whole room of loose, right? <laughs> and so right. I've always appreciated your compete level because that's strong leadership. Often you don't have to say anything. You just go and do it. 
So I've always appreciated that about you. When you think about this team now, they're, if the season was to start, they're two points out of the playoff spot. Would you say a lot of it has to do with the coaching or a lot of it has to do with the team really getting along and really playing for each other? Is it a combination of both? Well, I think it's probably it's probably a combination of both. But I, I think any team's success on a relative basis, I think this team's played a little ahead of itself where a lot of people thought, um, you know, again, it's a good story, but it might need some time. But I do think David Quinn has had an immense amount of influence on, on the results. I mean, but when you're getting back to the group, right, you need it. I, I think you when you talk about culture, you talk about this and that, eventually the team has to become the closeness for itself, right? And I think, you know, David Quinn has been for two seasons now, better part, he's been the go-to guy. He's been the guy that's running things. And in fact, the kind of the leadership, you know, all the good teams, all the good teams, all the winning teams, the coach is kind of guy in the background now, right? He's established his game. He's established his respect and uh, things like that. So I, I think there are some good players in this group. You know, I was watching, again, MSG last night ran the uh, uh, Mika's five-goal night against Washington. And you watch, there are some, there are some good components to this group uh, that they have put together. So I, I, I think Jeff Thornton has to be given credit. Uh, Chris Drury, uh, going back to even Glennis, Glennis signing off and, and kind of transitioning the thing. Because, you know what, when you look at it, at the end of the day, if you've got better horses, you're going to have a better chance. And I think, I think in 2014, dude, when they went to the final, I think there were some of a lot of really good parts and one world-class player in, in Hendrick. And I can see a few more world-class players in this group, and I think there are a couple that are developing. So uh, I really do think there are a lot of good things to come. Okay, well, you guys, you and I can talk forever. I'm going to leave you with one last question, and, and you said two things, two words, respect and Lundquist. So my question to you is, how do they leave this in the most respectful way for Lundquist to end his career? How do you see it? Any suggestions? That's a tough one, dude. I, I, I think I think that there's a couple ways to look at this, right? I mean, he was, he, um, you know, when we talk about the playoff, we're there because of him. You hear the comment made that his career won't be what it probably should be looked at because he didn't win a cup. <laughs> they had a chance to cup because of him. And the only thing he couldn't do was score goals, right? Because you could, sure could stop him. But then you get to a point now where time does move on. I think we, we all are. And I think that's the difficult thing when you come to an elite player who's played in one place for a long time. How in the world do you move on? And now he has one uh, one year left on his contract, and I think I think he should be treated with the respect he's been treated with by being involved in the conversation about his future. Because at the end of the day, we're sitting here, and it's not as though he hasn't uh, been asked to make a choice, right? He's been, been approached two deadlines ago whether he wanted to move. He said no, which he has every right to do, right? Given what he's done. So I think it's I think it's a difficult situation from that standpoint. But at the end of the day, time does march on. And, you know, you could probably make the case where he's the third goaltender in the rotation. And, and I also think at the end of the day, like he's been included in the decision-making, I think it will ultimately be Hendricks' decision. Well, you know what's what, what's um, great about this game? You never know what's going to happen. And because we don't know how this season's going to end or playoff hockey is going to happen in August, you don't know who's going to be in that. I mean, you just never know. Lundqvist could be back in there. Things happen. And things could change. But having said that, going into the next season, I, th I think best case scenario, because it sounds like they may buy him out. But if they to do that, I would love 
for them to make them a really nice offer where they give them a nice position in the New York Ranger uh, organization, whether it's an ambassador or something at a high position where he stays, he's part of the team and he goes away and he doesn't necessarily goes away, but he's part of the team. So anyways, we're going to end it there, Dave. I love talking with you. I wish you the best. Keep up the good work. I listened to your uh, podcast with Doc. And he sounds great. Uh, of course, Donnie Murdoch, and, and that's, that's good stuff. So keep up the good work, my man. It's always a pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, we ask that you direct your attention to Center Ice for a special presentation. That's a wrap for episode 18 of Up in the Blue Seats. Thanks to our producer, Jake Brown, for producing the show. Subscribe to the show wherever you listen. If using Apple, rate us five stars and write a nice review. And make sure to follow me on Twitter at RonDuguay10. Thanks for joining us. Stay inside and stay safe. Chat with you all next week.